Hey everyone, today I'm back for part 6 of my quarterly review from quarter 4 of 2023. So with that said, I will jump right in. Productive arguments between two people in a relationship must go deeper than the surface. A year of marriage has brought many arguments and disagreements. We don't see that as a bad thing, as we know we're different people with different ways of seeing the world, which inevitably introduces conflict. Nevertheless, these conflicts have the potential for going various ways. Unfortunately, many couples often do not gather meaningful insights from those conflicts when they occur. They are simply seen as something to resolve, forget about, or pass by, sticking at the surface level. I'm grateful that we have taken a different path, although at times it is tense and painful. Our conflicts have grown to open the door to a high level of vulnerability that supports identifying where certain responses are coming from. For example, when I made some complaints to Gabby once about her leaving clean towels out without folding them and putting them away, a very small point, I know, she shared with me that she got angry about it because she's not used to men being involved in domestic affairs around the house, as her dad never commented on these matters at home and left her mom, her sister, and her to take care of it all. My personal experience was quite different as my dad worked from home for many years and my parents divided household chores very equally. In addition to openly talking about it when one or the other hadn't done their assigned task yet. Without getting to this deeper point, we wouldn't have understood why there was a problem in the first place and why our reactions were so distinct. When we understand the causes and their origins, we can then prevent similar situations and have a more precise awareness of what's happening. In a marriage or any long-term relationship, Turning these conflicts into productive learning moments can make a world of difference. We cannot make decisions based on the past. We must look at the present first, and then use the past for context. Where we are now is a more important question than what got us here when it comes to deciding on a path forward. This isn't to say that history is unimportant, because it is, in fact, very important. It just isn't as important as the present and our vision for the future if our goal is to achieve a better set of outcomes in the long term. This is a lesson I took from a conversation Yuval Noah Harari, one of the world's most famous historians who wrote Sapiens, had with Rory Stewart and Alistair Campbell shortly after the October 7th attacks in Israel. It was particularly impactful for me because it came from someone who has dedicated his life to history, which would make him nearly the most likely candidate to say that history is most important when making decisions. Hearing a contrary response made me think deeply, which got me around to agreeing with him. The past tells us so much, from who was advantaged and disadvantaged, who suffered and who excelled, to the specific ways in which it all unfolded, if our sources give us enough details. And of course, we want to look back to understand which advantages and disadvantages were unjust and how that happened. Nevertheless, if we solely base our decisions for what to do now, based on the past, we ignore all of the other factors at play in the present. Rectifying certain injustices without prioritizing where we are and where we want to go can lead to an impermanent rectification, potentially leading to creating even greater injustices and worse societies on the other side. We must be mindful of these possibilities, as they can carry significant consequences, even for those who were treated unjustly and would be the beneficiaries 
a rectification. As I write this point, I fear the ease of falling into certain thought traps for us if I mention certain conflicts where this can apply, as the applications are, incre are incredibly broad. The Israel-Palestine conflict, reparations for descendants of enslaved peoples, the Russian war in Ukraine, apartheid in South Africa, the outcomes of world wars, providing global aid to countries where other powerful nations wage war, like Vietnam and Cambodia, colonization in the Americas and Africa, the list goes on. Despite our political divides, our willingness to come together for a better future, for all of us, with a clear recognition of historical wrongdoings in the process, will bring us further forward. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. When you look both across species and within our human species, there is an overwhelming winner for the best strategy to use for creating productive relationships and societies. It's called tit for tat, or as I titled this section, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. If one person acts positively toward you, it's in your best interest to return the favor. So you return it. If you act positively toward another, it's in their best interest to return the favor. So they return it. Establishing these reciprocal relationships generates trust and cohesion, which allows groups to function much more effectively when working toward a collective goal. Going beyond the collective. This reciprocity allows individuals to achieve more than they would over the long term if they had instead tried to maximize their personal return while reducing the return of others through taking advantage of them and not reciprocating. Looking at groups of silverback gorillas, for example, Robert Sapolsky observed that grooming behavior took place much sooner and more frequently within groups that had these kinds of reciprocal relationships as a norm, which was associated with greater longevity and fewer health problems. For those gorillas. Additionally, when running, when running computer simulations on the prisoner's dilemma, this tit-for-tat strategy has been shown to be the optimal strategy for long-term gains when players have to play together multiple times. Instead of asking for general feedback, ask for just one specific thing to do differently. Within days of relearning this while listening to a podcast, I was already seeing the benefits of implementing it. In a conversation with my wife that wasn't going where we wanted it to, I paused and asked, what is one thing I can do differently next time? The question completely changed the tone of the conversation, severing the tensions in the air. I'd been used to quickly responding with questions like, what should I do differently? What did I do wrong? And what can I do better? These questions are too open and can easily overwhelm someone in a tense situation, leading them to respond defensively or to not provide an answer at all. Just asking for one thing simplifies the request for feedback immensely. You're not asking for them to tell you everything you need to change. That list could take an eternity to construct. Asking for one thing also shows respect to the person you're asking, as you recognize implicitly that, one, their feedback is important to you, two, it takes effort and a lot of mental energy to give feedback, and three, you want to make it easier for them to give feedback. And lastly for today, beware spending too much time processing and going back to the same problems over and over again. When a problem arises in a relationship, it is incumbent upon us to sit down together, discuss what the problem is, its origins, the ways to resolve it, if or when it comes to the surface again, and how to prevent it. 
this is a fairly simple and effective process. When we manage to do it well, working from start to finish, we can see the benefits quite tangibly. A common challenge in relationships, even when this process or a similar one is used, is the recurring return to processing those same problems. Instead of focusing on the behaviors and changes that help manage the problems and even liberate us from them, couples frequently return their focus to the problems that have already been worked through and managed, hashing out the same conversations over and over again. This recurring return to the same problems ends up invalidating the meaningful hard work done to identify the roots of problems and their solutions. It also shows a lack of trust in the relationship, as there is a lack of shared belief that each person will stick to the solutions identified in the conversation about the specific problem. Avoiding invalidation and a lack of trust makes a world of difference in a relationship, so doing our best in, this, in these regards can lead us to greater probabilities of relationship success. So with that, I thank you for listening. These were some more extensive points compared to other ones in the quarterly review. So I hope that you enjoy them and the elaboration. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, much love. In the meantime, take care. Cheers.